This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey there, it's Robbie, and coming up on today's edition of the Offscript podcast, we are in conversation with arguably the greatest chess player of all time. His name is Gary Kasparov. He has been a legend in the game of chess for the best part of four decades. He spent two of those decades right at the top of the game and 15 years as the undisputed world champion of a game that's played by more than 60 million people around the world. Gary is a frighteningly intelligent man, and he offers his opinion on man versus machine the wonderful game of chess and the battles that he had against his great rival Anatoly Karpov and also we get to hear about his latest venture in the world of NFTs enjoy the off script podcast our big interview will feature a lot of chess talk there's a reason why we are talking about it first of all I need to tell you about an NFT program that is dropping That is the technical word. A Gary Kasparov NFT-inspired collection, which drops today. So that's a timely little reminder for that. And also, last week in Dubai, at Expo 2020, Magnus Carlsen, the world champion chess player, defeated Jan Nepomici of Russia. And that extended his dominance over the world of chess. And he did it right here in Dubai at Expo. Wow, unbelievable. That's great. But, you know, when I heard out you... You were speaking to Gary Kasparov. I thought, this is brilliant because you talk about him all the time, Rob. I do, yeah. Yeah, you talk about him him a lot. (laughs) You've mentioned him in the time capsule, epic bouts that he's been involved in. It's just come up time and time. It was like you were speaking to a hero. Yeah, it was like it was fate. And he did not disappoint. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. It was a very, very enjoyable conversation. I hope you guys enjoy listening to it. He is a Russian chess grandmaster. He's a former world chess champion. He's a writer. He's a political activist. He's a commentator. Uh, From 1984 until his retirement in 2005, he was ranked world number one for a record 255 months overall for his career. Wow. Think about that. That is that is two decades, essentially, but over. My maths isn't great, but I think that 240 months would be two decades, wouldn't it? So that's more than two decades, okay? Uh, his peak rating was the highest recorded until being surpassed, actually, by Magnus Carlsen in 2013, but he still holds the record for the most consecutive professional tournament victories and chess Oscars. In this conversation, we're going to there's discuss... There's chess Oscars? There's chess Oscars. Brilliant. Oh, yes. Yeah, there is. But, you know, we talk a lot on this show about man versus machine, don't we? And, yeah. and doom-mongering about when machines are going to take over. So I kind of... I asked Gary to humour me, essentially, and really mainly put Chris's mind at rest and asked him, should we be worried about a future dominated by robots and AI? And he had this to say. I know there are, there's, there's so much fear uh, uh, around this AI issue and computers and the human-machine relations. Um, I'm on the side of one, they say, optimist. I believe I'm a realist. I always say that AI is not a magic wand, but it's not a terminator. It's not a harbinger of utopia or dystopia. It doesn't buy you a free ticket to heaven, but it doesn't open the gates of hell. Uh, it's it's a, it's it's a tool, and it's and uh, and uh, it's for us to use it most effectively. Can it be used for for uh, to harm us? Absolutely, as any technology in the past. But humans still have uh, a monopoly for evil, so that's why I wouldn't you know uh, waste our time you know uh, following this Hollywood brainwashing pr- uh, uh, production uh, and the army of doomsayers that are talking about Matrix and 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 uh, Terminators going after us. 
That man belongs on a stage. Yeah, he really performing does. Performing Shakespeare. What he a does. way with words. Oh, it's great. He's he's a frighteningly intelligent man. There is no doubt about it. I don't know his IQ, but I would imagine it is gargantuan. How much did you feel connected to him when he said that thing about humans having a monopoly over evil? Oh, I love that. Yeah. But, but then he swept <laughs> onto something else. I couldn't really get a word in edgeways with Gary. Um, but, but computers have played an increasing role in chess, whereas Gary grew up in the 70s where, you know, you had to read books. You had to kind of fashion and hone your game very much by the book, by a manual, and doing it through practice. Now, you can download a program that has infinite ways and means to, to give you the kind of gameplay strategies that all these young kids are kind of... Essentially, computers have, have become so integrated into the world of chess, and I wanted to sort of get Gary's take on what impact technology has had on the game that he loves. He had this to say. As every game, chess uh, is, is, is a domain, or you say, realm of computers. Uh, because every game is can be qualified as a closed system, whether it's game of chess, game of Go, game of shogi Japanese chess, uh, Dota, if you're talking about video games, StarCraft, Texas Hold'em Poker. At the moment you put machine inside the, the, the closed framework, uh, machines will dominate because they make few mistakes. This is very important uh, element of, 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 the, of these relations. Machines do not solve games. It's impossible to solve the game of chess where the number of um, legal moves, according to uh, one of the founding fathers of computer science, Claude Shannon, is its insane number of 10 to the 46 power. So that's an in, insane number. Right. So no computer will ever get to the, to the bottom of this you know, in the known universe till the end of time. Uh, but again, it's not about solving the game. It's about making few mistakes. Every game, you know, results, you know, uh, w- w- with with a win or loss because someone made the last mistake. And we humans, we're prone to make more mistakes than machines. Period. But having said that, it's it's not the end of chess. It's not the end of go. It's not the end of any game because at the end of the day, what we want is to see. Going back to 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 uh, beginning of our conversation, we want this is psychology. You want to see how Magnus Carlsen facing Jan Nepomnici in a world championship match and the psychology behind it, the, the, this tension, that's what makes it exciting. Uh, humans cannot outrun machines or most, you know, uh, animals, but we still, you know, enjoy, you know, uh, them running uh, uh, any distance from, from, uh, from 100 meters to, 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 to marathon because it's about, it's about human competition. And uh, I think we should take a very simple attitude that machines in the past made us stronger, they made us faster, and they make us eventually now uh, smarter if we know how to use them effectively. Right, I've just Googled Gary Kasparov's IQ. It's between 185 (laughs) and 190. Just a uh, tad above ours. Yeah, just a tad. So I did feel like I was talking to a superior being for the, the entire duration of this interview. What? And he must have thought I was, you know, Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, I mean, what happened to your face the moment he said something like the 10th power of 49? Uh, I mean, my face was stuck in a kind of weird, perplexed like, uh, expression for quite some time. A deep thinking expression yeah. that really means I have no idea what you're talking about exactly. kind of expression. Yeah, yeah, it was a sort of puzzled frown. Yeah. I just want to play one more clip on his kind of thoughts on, on computers because very famously in 1996, Gary faced off against an IBM computer called Deep Blue. Right. I'm pretty sure we ran that on the time capsule yes, as well. Yes, we definitely 
certainly did. Now, he won the first series of matches, but he lost the second. And I asked him, would today's chess grandmasters stand any chance against a modern computer? And if so, is that detrimental to the health of the game? What it means detrimental? Let, let's, 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 let's work on, the, on this term. Detrimental in what sense? That machines are better than humans now? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's the, if you have a chess app on your uh, uh, mobile device, it's as good or even better than Deep Blue 25 years ago. Sure. So if you download a chess engine, uh, Stockfish, Lilu, whatever, just, you know, just a chess engine that you can get online, download on your laptop, it's so much better than Magnus Carlsen. The gap between this device that you can have on your machine or your computer, laptop, and Magnus Carlsen is about the same as between Usain Bolt and Ferrari. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so but again, let's, it's, should we you know, cry over this? Absolutely not. You, know, you don't cry over spilled milk. You, let's look at the positive side. I love his attitude about this. Yeah. It's kind of like, obviously the machines are better. Why are we even talking about this? They're exactly. obviously so much superior, but they're you're comparing apples and oranges. Absolutely. Two totally different no, things. Why is it relevant? Yeah. It's great. It's great. Um, and I wanted to sort of take the, the story back to the beginning because Gary had a love affair with chess. He was a child prodigy. He got introduced to it into a time when it was very popular in the Soviet Union where he grew up. And that was kind of where I started. I wanted to find out why it was such a popular pastime. Why was chess a really big deal in the Soviet Union during his childhood of the late 60s and early 70s? Yeah, it was tremendously popular. Uh, and one of the reasons is that very few options for people to, uh, to do their pastime. And the uh, uh, Soviet Union was a dictatorship and this system denied people, both adults and kids, many opportunities that were available in the free world. And uh, it was very natural for every parent to see whether their kid... Uh, had a, had a talent in chess, music, in 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 certain areas where you know the communist ideology uh, encouraged a talent to be to be promoted because they looked for sport and art uh, as as very important tools to demonstrate the vitality of the communist system, and chess was uh, was probably on the top of the list because for communist uh, propaganda, uh, chess was uh, uh, viewed. Uh, by communist propaganda was viewed as 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 the most important tool uh, to demonstrate intellectual superiority of communist regime over decadent West. And uh, um, chess was uh, chess information was available widely. And uh, my parents one night, you know, they looked at the local newspaper trying to solve a puzzle, and um, and that's how I got into the game by by watching it and. Uh, and I immediately got mesmerized by by this uh, by the secrets of these wooden pieces on on this on the board. And um, according to to my mother's recollections, so I learned how to make moves without asking questions. So and then I just uh, tried to to get into this uh, process, you know, suggesting the moves. And um, and that's how my father eventually decided that you know instead of doing music, because his whole Jewish side of my family, my father's family. Uh, they weren't just, except my father was an engineer, though he also graduated from a violin class. Um, so um, this, they all were in, in, in music professionally. But my father said, no, let's, let's, let's give him another chance because his mind works differently. And uh, that's how I was sent to the uh, chess section of the Pioneer Palace in Baku. That's, uh, sadly, it was my father's last decision in his life. He died very young. 
age 39 uh, from uh, from cancer um, uh, but you know he is his decision shaped my life Wow. And, and yeah, and he, he, is, he never looked back. He was a chess prodigy. He was an extraordinary talent. And he it's, became... It's hard to imagine having such an, a natural aptitude for something like chess. Yeah. Well, but yeah. clearly he did. Your brain just is wired up a certain way. Yeah. He's obviously extremely intelligent. And as a problem solver, he had no peer. And he was obviously had a huge work ethic as well. He started winning adult tournaments while still a teenager started to develop big aspirations by the late 70s he was actually believing that one day he could be world champion but to become one he needed to dethrone the incumbent superpower a man who'd reigned supreme for a decade between 1975 and the mid 80s anatoly karpov now kasparov and karpov met twice in their world championship bouts in 1984 and then again after failing to find a winner in their first encounter in 1985 their matches are legendary they trans the game of chess and I asked Gary to paint us a picture of that iconic duel. I still can't explain you know my poor performance in the beginning of the match so it's beyond my ability to actually make could to comment on some moves I made because it's just I, uh, before the match or after the match you know at, I, I could have delivered you know the the, the winning blows uh, uh, in, in like in game six uh, was just in the middle of my sleep. Uh, but going back to what we talked about, Magnus Carlsen and Ipomnishi, it's psychology. So World Championship match, you know, puts tremendous pressure. You're on stage. And uh, I didn't recognize the value of some of the warnings from all the players saying that uh, yeah, World Championship match is different because beating World Champion is not the same as beating all the players you, you crushed on the way to the, to the match. So winning the quarterfinal, semifinal, the final of the, of the candidates was not the same as, as facing the seeding world champion. And um, Karpov resilience was different and its psychology there was, was probably too much for me to handle. Uh, and after game nine, I was down four to, no, four to nothing. Four to nothing. And uh, Karpov needed only two games to win to, to, uh, to finish me off. And... Um, and then I just realized that to survive, I had to change my strategy. So just I had to, it's, it's, all, it's a modus of survival. It's not about glory, but it's about, you know, just uh, staying in the game. And uh, I made many draws, many of them short draws. I've been harshly criticized, but I knew I had to stay in to learn more and just to get myself adjusted. And though I lost game 27, uh, 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 being outplayed, uh, though of course making my own mistakes, but Karpov grabbed his chance. So it was five to nothing, and everybody thought that you know that's, that's I was you know almost in in, in, in my in my in my grave. So that's with with probably <laughs> both feet already uh, um, there, and I um, somehow I felt relaxed. And uh, after surviving game thirty-one, Carpos on slow in game thirty-one, I won game thirty-two, and then believe it or not, I retook the initiative in the match. And uh, in the next sixteen games, Carpo failed to win one game. I won two games, forty-seven and forty-eight. And then the Soviet authorities panicked because they saw me coming, you know, out of the uh, <laughs> out of a zombie and and and, and biting Karpov, and uh, they thought that it would be too risky to continue the match, and they called uh, for the president then, the Filipino Florencio Campomanes, who I was uh, for a long time having very strong ties with Soviet authorities, and he declared that the match would uh, would uh, uh, be finished with no res no result and. Uh, Renew, the, the new one will start in, in September 
but it will be match of 24 games, the, the limited series. So all told, wow. they played hundreds of matches against one another over hundreds and hundreds of hours of play. So I, I obviously asked, did they become friends? And he had a pretty curt answer to that. No, we, can, we, we, we cannot be friends for simple reasons. You know, we have very different views about the world. Karpov was and still is the very loyal soldier of the party. And I was a rebel. I, I believe you know, in individual freedom. I believe you know, in, our, in our rights to, 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 to challenge the authority. And uh, so um, we, that's why he is, he's a member of parliament in Russia and they live in exile. So they were wow. ideologically on different ends of the spectrum as well. Right. I mean, you could even hear in that previous answer when he was talking about the battle with him, just that he, the competitive biting nature of it, basically, like, I would have won that, but he yeah. copped out. It was yeah. kind of the implication. No, massively. And well, he, he actually believes it was the, the Soviet authorities who kind of bottled it and thought, yeah. hang on a minute, we can't let this upstart beat our, our, our kind of darling, uh, our chess champion. So in, in 1985, they rematched. Gary delivered the coup de grace in a game that has been recognized as one of the all-time chess masterpieces in history and i asked him how it felt to settle their rivalry in such a manner and in doing so become the world champion it doesn't happen often when you have you know an important such an important game to win but you also do it in style yeah because often it's oh yeah i won the game but you know just opponent made a terrible blunder it's it's great but but here you know combining the the sport sporting factor and uh, and the quality of the game because it's it made it to the to the to the to the uh, uh, um, uh, to the pantheon of the best games ever played in a world championship match. That was that was a great great feeling. And while I I, I felt great, definitely Carpel felt devastated. But we should give him credit. He fought really hard. All the matches matches were very close. You know, I never crushed him. Uh, uh, you know, just as as uh, as convincingly as Magnus uh, crushed Jan uh, Nepomnish. Mm. But I always won the decisive game. In 1985, uh, I, he was trailing one match, uh, one game before the, uh, the end of the match, and he needed to win to retain the title. He failed. I won the game, became the, the world champion. In 1987 in Sevilla, they're also reversed. He was uh, a one point ahead, and I needed to win the game to retain my title. Uh, game 24 in Sevilla, and I won the game again. So every time when we reach the climax, so uh, and probably it's thanks to my experience in the first match, so I always proved to be so a stronger character. And I just kept thinking of other sort of sporting references as he was saying that because it's a game of chess, but yeah. you can you can translate it to any sport. Yeah, psychology forget becomes Verstappen and Hamilton. Yeah. Let's look at this rivalry. Yeah, Karpov, Kasparov. <laughs> um, one of uh, the quotes that I stumbled across that, that belongs to Gary Kasparov, which I really enjoyed, was success is the enemy of further success. Yeah. And you, you see were, it again. You were really impressed with this yesterday. You I just was. were wowed with it. In Don't fact. you think it's true, though? I think it can be. But do you like. Well, we see it, it. The proof is in the pudding. We see it time and time again in sport. That success is followed by periods of, you know, a drop-off in form or mm. difficulties, struggles. You know, see it time and time again. It's very, very rare that someone has sustained success over a long period of time in sport. Right. And I would, I would imagine it applies to other walks of life as well. Because, of course, success makes one complacent. It robs one of their motivation. It sort of, you know, it, it kind of dampens that desire to work, you know, your behind off. Who am I to disagree with Gary Kasparov? But I think success gives you confidence 
which emboldens. I mean, I think it can go both ways. I think it can go either it makes you complacent or it kind of emboldens you to take more chances because you've seen previous successful results. So you have optimism and hope that you will be successful again. I think it's relative and I do agree with you. I think if you work for something and you do get some success at something and that is the confidence that you need, the spark you need to crack on with it. But I think if you reach the top of the mountain, Mm. um, then I think that's where you're vulnerable because it's kind of what is there left to achieve. Where do you go from there? Um, Anyway, right. Let's get into this because I I asked Gary, who was the world champion for 15 years. He ruled chess for two decades. How did he avoid the trappings of success? Well put, the trappings of, of, of success, uh, because success always blinds you. It's, it's a human nature. If we lost a match, we believed, and we, actually we know we did something wrong. And that means go back, work hard, find your mistakes, come back with better ideas. Now, if we won, the natural tendency is, yeah, we won because we were great. But I know from my own experience playing so many world championship matches that our victory is most like the result of our opponent making the last mistake. And, and no game is perfect. And if our opponent made the last mistake, it's, it doesn't mean that we, 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 we haven't made mistakes or even inaccuracies before. And since you know you, are on, uh, you, you, you won the game, you won the match, you won the tournament, you, you won the, the, the championship, you're on top, there's so many players left behind that are looking at your games with they are using their microscopes uh, and just finding this, the, 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 the smallest inaccuracies in your game. And unless you do the same, unless you be so relentless, you know, to challenge your own success, so you will not find these this, this mistakes and n- next time they will, they, will get, they will get you. So it's very important to start a new event with you know, still being at a cutting edge. And, and surprising your opponents with something new. So that's the, the knowledge that they obtained from analyzing your games and finding this is the, like, you know, the, the spot on the song. So it, this knowledge will be redundant because you're already one step ahead. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's uh, one of the lessons from my late mother. So as long as you challenge your own excellence, you will never be short of opponents. Cutthroat Gary. Challenge your own excellence. Yes, I love it. Right, today is a big day for Gary. It's his NFT drop. I had to feign uh, knowledge of what that meant. <laughs> Come on, um, you know what an NFT is I know now. what an NFT is. It's, it's an auction, I think. That's essentially what it is. So fans of Knights, Rooks and Pawns will take note. One Kind, which is a platform, and Gary Kasparov have launched an NFT collection today, and it marks the first time that the new NFT marketplace has created its own series, which sees it collaborating with Gary. You didn't take that straight out of a press release, did you? No, I took it off an article. Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, I'm on dodgy... How many te- of those words did you understand that you just I'm said? I'm on dodgy territory here <laughs> with NFTs, as you well know. Uh, but what I do know is that some of the artifacts, some of the um, kind of experiences and little bits of memorabilia that have made Gary's career so legendary right. are now available to purchase. And when I say unique, we'll let Gary explain it to you because we're talking about some one-of-a-kind options here. It um, offered me confidence that I could do something fairly unique. When I say unique, it's not just, you know, the statement to to promote my NFTs. I don't think that anybody yet put his or her entire life in the series of NFTs. There will be 31 uh, uh, NFTs. So that's the, it's, uh, and, and they are just, you know, they are absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely unique. Uh, and plus there will be one, one bonus NFT. So this is the three seg- segments of my life. It includes unique documents. I just mentioned in an interview some of my, the, the NFTs of my notebooks from the 70s. 
there's my trophies, personal uh, picture from personal archive, something that is so dear to me and something that reflects my real life. Like we talked about the match with Karpov. The one NFT is, is designed, uh, um, designed based on the score sheet of my game 24 against Anatoly Karpov in Moscow 1985. So just wow. could be more unique. That's signed, amazing. Signed. This, this, it's, it's, people say, oh, it's, this is, it's extremely rare. This one is not extremely rare. It's, it's, I don't think Carpo kept this, this copy, which means probably it's the only one in the world. <laughs> okay, listen, Sanjay's trolling me for promoting <laughs> NFTs. Listen, I, I don't pretend to know anything about them. I know they're, they're really you know, taking off in a big way. Okay. And if you want to peruse, if you're a chess fan, if you like to get involved in a bit of NFTs, it's kind of why <laughs> Gary agreed to do this interview with us, in all honesty. Head to onekind.com. That's one the numeral, kind.com. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 